Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a man who at 22 years old saw his chance for wealth and he jumped on it. Investing his first 35,000 in a property that became 3.5 million nine years later with multiple properties, he did what any other logical 31-year-old would do. He retired, sort of. Chris Gray laughs that his friends think all he does is get on super yachts and take lavish vacations, while his wife thinks he needs to slow it down with his countless hours in his buyer's agent business, Your Empire, being a regular columnist for the mainstream media, and his regular stint on the Sky News business show, Your Property Empire. This accountant by trade has decided to turn the emotions of buying property into a spreadsheet that has his clients winning a lot. So welcome, Chris, to our community of dreamers who are- Wonderful, thanks for having me. Yeah, they are looking for ways to fund their dream life. So shall we get into it? Yep, let's fire away. (laughs) You're awesome. Look, I'm very curious. I loved hearing um, your story about growing up in the UK and what had you dreaming about wealth at such an early age. So, you know, what did the word wealth even mean to you when you were a kid? Can you take us back there? Yeah, sure. And look, I'm not sure if I even knew the word wealth in those kind of days, but I'm naturally lazy. Whenever I say I'm lazy, people say, no, you can't be lazy because you've overachieved. Hmm. But I basically didn't want to work. I love cars, I love boats, I love traveling and doing all these things. And even though my parents were kind of high income, they were like a doctor and a nurse, they were very much not into that stuff. And they said, you've got to get a job for life and you've got to go to school, get a university and, and, and then a job. So it's very much a traditional background. And I kind of stumbled on property and it gave me freedom. It then gave me cars, it gave me travel. And so over a few years, I just knew that there was a different way of doing things in life. And just because 99% of the population do things a certain way and society expects that, I knew that I could be different and, and there was a different 
quicker and faster path to, uh, to get me the results of what I wanted. Mm. But you did, you know, thank you for sharing about your parents because you did go a bit traditional. You became an accountant. So clearly their influence was there. Like, did you literally, as a little kid, so I get the, the description of you being lazy, but as a little kid, did you go, oh, I want to be an accountant one day? Is that the dream that you had for your life? I don't think anyone wants to dream of being an accountant. Um, <laughs> look, my, my natural ability is numbers. And I'm not a great accountant, so I'm, I've, I've failed tax multiple times. But I've just got a skill in numbers, and I see the world in numbers. So where people talk about emotions and colours and feelings, to me that's a foreign language. That's like German or French or something. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just see numbers and I can solve problems with numbers, and so I convert everything into that. And so I think accounting was just when I came to kind of 17, 18 and leaving school, and, and you go and see some of your parents' friends, and I met an accountant down the pub and they try and describe what they do. I was just thinking, I'm a numbers man. I need to do something with numbers. And I think accounting just kind of turned up in a way. Okay, I'm a bit curious. A girl, this is the girl that sees in colour. So, okay, so when you're growing up, how? give me a real description of seeing the world in numbers. What does that mean? I, I don't get it. Sure. So I guess the first property really describes it. So I'd basically given up or finished school. I came to Australia, um, backpacking for three or four months, but was so poor. The furthest I went in Australia, so I'd never been on a flight before, came all the way around the world. And the furthest I went was the Blue Mountains on a day trip before I flew back to the UK because I had no money. Hmm. And I got back Saturday night, wanted to go out with my friends to the pub. And mum says, you've got to be back by midnight. And I said, mum, I've traveled all around the world. I'm an international traveler now. If I can get back from Australia, surely I can get back from the local pub. And she said, no, it's my house, my rules. You've got to be back by midnight. And so that was the catalyst for me to say, being rebellious, okay, stuff it, I'm going to move out. And long story short was I couldn't really, the the most I could afford, I I earned 10,000 pounds or $20,000. I could only afford three times my income so I could buy a place for maybe 30,000, which would be the worst unit in the worst part of town. But I fell in love with a beautiful bachelor pad, a three bedroom house right in the, the local kind of wine bars and things like that. And I basically worked out is if I bought a one bedroom unit, I'd be mortgaged for life and I'd have no cash and I wouldn't be able to go out. But if I could secure a mortgage on this three bedroom house, I could rent two rooms out to two mates and actually live for free. And this was the magic. And none of my friends owned property because no one wanted to live in a one-bedroom unit and have no money being tied to a mortgage. Whereas I actually saw the mortgage as freedom because I could move out of home. I controlled the house. I then had double incomes coming in on top of my normal income and I could actually live for free. And that was the real magic that I discovered at 22. Okay, that was cool. I love that because I love that comparison because look, when most people run away from home, quote unquote, um, they don't go, oh, let me buy a property and get two people. <laughs> let me have a mortgage and let me bring in two people. They generally sleep on someone's couch or, you know, there's a desperation. But what I get is that you saw the opportunity and the freedom of the mortgage, whereas other people see it as a... As the ball and chain. Yes, and, and, okay, and, yeah. And people still feel it now, the ball and chain. Whereas I think that's the leverage that can take you to a different level. And you always saw that and felt that, right? 
Well, I kind of learned it. So you never learn. So most of my stuff was self-taught till I was 31. So I learned a lot of stuff at seminars after I'd retired. And they talked about joint ventures and leverage and interest rates. I knew nothing of that. I didn't know what my interest rate was as a percentage or anything. But I'd done a joint venture before, but I didn't know it was called a joint venture. And so that's why it was weird. It was, I, I just naturally found a path and it made complete logical sense to me because it was driven by numbers rather than emotions of what society and your parents tell you what to do. And that's why I almost had a blank canvas because I didn't listen to anyone else. Got it. Yeah, there's the innocence of it, which is cool. So if it wasn't a ball and chain, what describe to people, because like, really get us into that mindset, right? So basically it was that, ability to expand and like the freedom that came from that first property and that first experience um how is it so different than a ball and chain and why do people think it is that because uh, i think they just think that they're, they're tied to it and it's a big overhead um and it was more so, so i've never really set goals or anything but I went house hunting, just like people might go shopping for handbags or for cars or whatever people are into. But I went shopping for houses and I saw these open homes and they were beautiful houses and I fell in love with it. And I thought, that's what I want. And I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So just, just like a lot of you sports guys, then you must have an overriding thing that you'll climb any mountain mm. and go through any amount of pain to get to your goal. My, my goal was having a material house to think, hey, I can have all my mates around, we can party at the weekends. I haven't got parents telling me what to do. I can cook whatever food I want and I can just have fun. And so it's that freedom and, and I guess having all your mates around you, that was my real driver. And I just thought, how do I make this work? And then I put pen to paper, worked out the numbers and, and that's how I could justify it. Yeah, cool. Okay, I like that. So, so here you are um, in that house with your mates, you're making it happen, you're making it work, you have a goal. Um, and then I'm imagining you went shopping for other houses after that. Like, is that, was that the next step once you realized this was a winner? Yeah, so what I did is um, I, I used to catch up with the female real estate agent that sold me the property. And we used to catch up for drinks uh, once a month and just talk about property because she was pretty young as well. And, and we just had a bit of a bond. And about a year later, she said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I assessed a property today and it was a block of four units. And we think the developers really underpriced it. So we think the properties are worth a hundred thousand pounds, but he wants 80,000 and that's all he wants. And I said, well, that sounds like an amazing opportunity because that's what I bought before. I bought a hundred thousand pound property for 80,000 because I was at the right time at the right place. So I said, oh, look, can we go and see the property? So we went to go and see it. And I said, look, I'll take one. I can see the value. I can see it's worth more than 80,000, but I need 24, 48 hours. So I then went to my dad and I said, look, dad, you know, I made all this money on this first property. Why don't we do something together as a father and son team? Mm. Now I've got the time and I've got the contacts and I can deal with the tenants and do all the hassle stuff that you don't want. Obviously you've got more of the financial backing that we could both put a deposit in. And whatever we get, um, what deposit in, we can get some uh, like an interest on that. And then obviously you can secure the mortgage. So you do the financial side and I'll do all the kind of the operation side. Hmm. And he said, okay, happy to do that. He had no interest in the money. It was more just doing something with his son and having a bit of a, a common bond. Yeah. 
And so he said, why don't you try and find a property? And I said, well, I've actually already found one and we've got 24 hours to sign the contract. <laughs> and so it just kind of fell into it. So, um, and, and look, I was lucky that I've got supportive parents and, and yeah. my parents were well off. But what I've found since then is lots of our clients are trying to get their kids into stuff. And they want the kids to go and do something, but they're not going to hand it on a plate to them. Mm. And so where some people say to me, oh, you're lucky, Chris, you had wealthy parents, it's all easy. You're still going to go and do all the work. And the chances are your parents would be happy to do something as well, but you just haven't asked or pitched it to them. Yeah, that's what I just, that was great. I love how you, you know, I love that that's the quote unquote joint venture. Um, and the, the ability to pitch it, like how you created a win for that, you know, him. And, and interestingly, he was seeing another kind of win. Like, I just want to do something with my son and have a common interest. And so that's a great story. It doesn't have to be some complicated, like there were no spreadsheets involved in that discussion with your dad, was there? Yeah. And what I've then done is the fifth property I bought maybe seven or eight years later, I actually did it with a complete stranger. So it was a friend of my flatmate in Australia and he had had a guy in the UK that wants to buy a property and I worked out for him. He wouldn't be able to get a mortgage. So I said, well, why don't you put up the deposit? I'll put up the mortgage. I'll buy the property and I'll only profit if effectively the, the property goes up in value. So, so this is to get the naysayers out there is sure. I had my dad help me on the, the second one, but I managed to do it with a complete stranger. And it's all about pitching the right thing to say, what's in it for you? What's in it for me? Yeah. We both get benefits. So it's the one plus one equals three kind of scenario. Hmm. Uh, totally. It's great. And, um, and in that, what, what do you do? So my mom works with a lot of property and, and, things okay maybe this isn't true so i'll just say from sometimes something happens that a deal goes bad something occurs um have you ever had a deal go bad and how do you deal with it sure and this is a big worry for most people because they're dealing with such large amounts of money it's like what if what if what if something goes wrong mm -hmm. my experience with property over the years is especially if you go for good property in good areas that's around the average property price, most time it never goes that bad. And so people anticipate that even say illness or something like that, it's going to be really bad, but most of the time it's not that bad. And as long as you've got the cash flow to hold on most times in property, as long as you hold on long enough, you're always going to make money. Mm. And there's always exceptions to the rule, but that's really been my experience is, if you follow a few simple rules, it's, it, it's not that hard to kind of always be upright and it always to work. So, so my main thought is, if you're around areas that local Australians or local English people want to live in, and they're buying them for homes at reasonable prices, and you haven't got say, a whole bunch of foreigners coming in or speculators or whatever else, generally most people do fine with property because they're buying a family home and they're holding on for 30 years. So you buy similar things to that. Right. And so the simple rules that you, you know, you kind of mentioned that are those in your book? Like can people read yeah. your book and get those simple rules? Yeah. So, so what I did, so in order to kind of leverage my time, so I used to uh, get kind of lots of people coming up. Oh, can you teach me about property? Can we, I'll buy you lunch, buy you, uh, buy you dinner and things like that. So what I did is 
we recorded about 30 conversations with clients, teaching them, should I buy a house, should I buy a unit, should I buy a cheap, expensive, new, old, all these kind of things. And effectively, we took all those questions, put it into one book. So literally in about an hour, hour and a half, you can get 95% of my strategy, black and white, that you can go off and implement yourself in any country in the world. Mm. And a lot of it's to do with the mindset. And then there's a few rules about um, what you should buy, maybe what you should avoid in property as well. Okay. So I will, um, in the notes, um, what people listening can really, I'll, I'll give them the link um, yep. to your website and the book. So if people want to really take this on, because we were just talking before we pressed the record button, weren't we, that there are actually more people than maybe um, thought about that actually have a sum of money sitting there and that they're a little afraid to make a move with it. So what would you say to people who have the money there, they, for one reason or another, haven't invested it? What would you say to them? Yeah, and look, I think there's a whole bunch of people that have got opportunity and money just sitting in front of them and, and they don't make the most of it. And I think the main worry for people is, is it's got to be too complicated, it's too hard, it's too risky. I've heard all these stories. It's a lot easier to do nothing than it is to go off and take an action. And so procrastination is the biggest thing that, that stops people. A lot of people say, if it was that simple, surely everyone would be doing it. But our philosophy is, it's too simple for most clever people. So <laughs> through Sky News and through my contacts at Deloitte's, I can deal with some highly intelligent people that earn a couple of million dollars a year, as well as dealing with people that earn kind of 50 grand a year. And the super clever people are always trying to beat the system. They're always trying to go better and go for the latest, greatest thing or the latest tax dodge or something like that. Hmm. And most of them do nothing. Whereas I find the people on 50 or 100 grand, they know that they're not super clever and they just go off and do it. So I think <laughs> cool. sometimes if you're on a lower income and you think you've got it tough, sometimes you might not have it easier than the people with, uh, with all the money. Hmm. And so I think you've just got to follow a few basic rules, look at the worst case scenario, and then look to see, well, if you don't do anything for the next 10 or 20 years, you're going to be in exactly the same position. So the kind of mediocrity thing to me is a bigger danger than buying the wrong property and, and something going wrong. Yeah, I got it. Like I, what I love about what you're sharing is this idea of get in the game. You're not in the game when the money's just sitting there because of fear or whatever, procrastination, probably even better. But yeah, just get in the game of it. And, and I love your story of being 22 years old and, you know, it was one property at a time. It wasn't rocket science. Um, you just did one and then another and another. And I, I think that's really relatable for people. Um, it's, it's like the Nike ad of just do it. That's all <laughs> it is. And, and so I've got, I don't know, 14 properties or so that I've acquired over, how many years is it now? 22, uh, 26 years. Mm -hmm. And I bought in the booms, I bought in the bus, and I've just consistently bought. My, my rule is, is if I've got the money and I've got the money to cash flow for a few years, that's when I buy and even though I'm in the media, I don't listen to any of the media hmm. because it's all people selling you stuff and scaremongering and sensationalizing and all the rest of it. So I don't actually listen to it. Or if I do, I read it just to see what the average Joe Blow has been kind of um, told and, and, and worried about. And, and that's my biggest thing is the difference between me and the next person is I just did it and I kept on yes. doing it. Love that. I 
So get that. I love that about your story. So why not just sail off into the sunset, drink cocktails with your wife all day rather than do any of the work? Like what's, you know, you have this business, you, the, the, you know, you call it your empire and, you know, the show on Sky Business and you're even part of an entrepreneurial organization. And why do those things? Why not just be a professional super yachter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah. So, so look, I, I was lucky enough. I, I gave up work at Deloitte at 31 and for three or four years, I, I literally did nothing and I had nothing to do during the day. And so my flatmate would go off to work and I'd look through the Sunday papers and thinking, what can I do? Not from a money perspective, but what can I do with my time? Yeah. And I started doing extras work on TV because one of my friends was doing it. And he said, oh, the wages are unbelievable. It's about $22 an hour. So pay for the petrol on the Ferrari to turn up to work. And <laughs> you, go, you go to Fox Studios and, and probably one of the best ads we did was um, Nicole Kidman and Baz Luhrmann. I think it's Chanel number five or Chanel number 10 or whatever it is, like four days for them. And it was just, I, I said, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to say anything. I'm not an actor. I just want to see how you make movies and adverts and things like that. And so we went on a whole bunch of different things. Um, I was on a, every St. George Bank window with my uh, wedding ring, even though I wasn't married, with a paintbrush and a pair of dungarees. And so we'd done that whole bunch of different things. And I was, I was helping people on set. So you'd, you'd be sitting around all day and I'd, a guy had a problem and so I helped him out with it. And then he rang me a few weeks later and said, oh, look, my uh, agency, they're trying to hire someone on Channel 9, a real estate expert, but they can't work for any of the big chains. I think you'd be amazing. And I went for the job and we ended up doing like 37 shows on a Saturday, going all around Australia, looking at penthouses and houses being moved and stuff. Huh. So I kind of got into TV as just as a hobby. And from there, I've gone on to Sky Business and then hosting my own show. And it all came out of fun. And so oh. most of my life now is I just do fun things. And probably 95% of it I don't get paid for. Um, and it's completely free. And probably 5% I'll get paid very well. I help people build their property portfolios. And even though technically I could st still give up working, is I still need cash flow. So property is great for giving you wealth. And ideally my portfolio will double from 15 million to 30 million to 60 million. But you still need cash. And especially with the banks changing over the last few years, you need to show an income. Mm -hmm. So really the idea is, is have enough of a job that you really enjoy that pays you a bit of an income not to make you wealthy, but just to pay the bills and service the mortgages. And then the real wealth is from those million dollar Bondi units doubling to two million and to four million. So yeah. it's all part of a package. But the best quote I've ever heard was Confucius. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And that's effectively what it is. Boom. That's my mantra. And oh, that's cool. I, I, thank you for that distinction about cash flow. You know, having, um, yeah. Got that, got that distinction. So just something that I wanted to ask you. So as you're picturing, you know, make, like you said, I never dreamt of being on TV. This is how it happened. And um, these different little areas that have just manifested themselves. As a little boy, pre, I want to be an accountant. Um, did you want to be a fireman? Did you want to, like, what did you dream for your life? And did, does it look anything like what you're doing now? Well, it's, it's a long time ago when I was a little I know. boy. I know. <laughs> What's the little UK boy? What town did? What town are you from? 
Uh, it was a place, uh, place called Radlett in um, probably 20 miles north of London. Okay. And look, probably, I probably wanted to be a racing car driver because my dad huh. taught me how to drive at about 13 to 14. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember stealing his car when he was on holiday at about 16 and driving to school in it. And he's passed away now, so I can mention it because he can't, uh, can't say anything about uh, me stealing his car <laughs> um, or driving illegally. But I just love driving. And I remember when he was away on holiday, was, we had a tiny little driveway, but I was doing three-point turns in there. <laughs> and I'd do it for hours and hours and hours just to play around and, and get used to driving. So I reckon it was probably a, a racing driver um, that I really wanted to be. And actually, when I left school, um, I borrowed some money for a car and I became a car courier. So no one would lend me their van or anything because I was 18 and I'd probably ride it off. So I had to go and buy my own car. And so I think I borrowed three and a half thousand pounds. And I think six months later, I probably owed five thousand pounds. So I definitely wasn't the best businessman. But I used to drive up to London to dr deliver the fashion labels in the West End for all the fashion companies. Huh. And all the girls that I'd deliver to, they'd kind of take the mick out of the, the spotty 18-year-old uh, delivery boy that was coming into central London. But I loved it, even though I was sitting in traffic, I was driving my car and it was my world and, and, and I could control it. Got it. And now I, I love driving cars still. I've got um, three or four cars. Okay. Anything from an old 1912 Model T Ford, the first reproduction car with a prank start, to then stretch, limousine, stretch limousines that I drive through the outback for Cancer Council just <laughs> to raise money for the farmers and for, uh, for cancer. And then I've got the other end of kind of Lamborghinis and stuff like that that's um, more the kind of racing cars. So a whole variety of different things, but I just love driving. Oh, I love that. Because I'm really, I really believe that we early on like have a, a tendency, you know, like a direction. Like we're kind of like moving toward that thing that we love. Um, and, and, you know, life has twists and turns and lots of different, like you said, accountant. Well, yeah, like the numbers not that great at it you know the detail too much but somehow here you are able to drive cars and in a really cool capacity and um so really is it about property or is it about what property brings you exactly and, and that's the thing is property is just a byproduct in a way sure mm -hmm. i love property i understand it it's, it's nice looking at fantastic properties but a lot of my portfolio i haven't seen for 10 to 15 years and my uk ones I probably haven't seen for 20 years. Basically, I bought an Excel sheet and it's, it's a spreadsheet. And as long as the banks keep revaluing the properties every few years and I get the rents coming in, that's all it is. And so where people can go out to work and they can earn 50 grand or 100 or 200 or if they're amazing, 500 or a million, there's a limit to how much you can earn because there's a limit to how many hours in a day and how much people will pay you per hour. But the, the real benefit about property is it's leverage. So you can buy a million dollar property and that million dollars is working 24 seven. And if you use that property to buy the second and then you've got two and that two can double to four properties and four to eight, it's suddenly wealth is all about compounding and leverage and time. And there's no limit to how many properties you can really own. And when they're working 24 seven, like I've got 14 properties and it takes me half an hour a month to manage. Right. So I look on the first of the month to make sure my rents are coming in. I look again on the 18th to make sure my 14 mortgages have gone out. I have one or two emails and that is a $15 million portfolio. 
And if it grows at five or 10%, I can make 750 to one and a half million from doing half an hour a month. Sure. And look, sure, you had to build it up and it's, it's not quite as simple as that, but that is the big picture. Whereas anyone that earns half a million or a million dollars, you're going to be working 60, 70 hours a week um, for an employer or something. So property just gives you the freedom that you don't have to do it. So you've got more time to do the stuff that you really enjoy. I love it. I, I love that because what I love about this conversation is I'm really getting the question that always is coming up as you're talking is like, why doesn't everybody do it? Why doesn't everybody do it? And I, you said at the beginning, I'm just the guy who did it. And, yeah. and that is, it's not more than that. It's just getting in the game one at a time, one at a time. And it's accumulating. And like you said, it's compounding. And what I've learned in my life is there's sort of like this story I call it, well, I'm athlete, right? So I often call it um, when you're outside of the champion's loop. And what that means to me is like you sit, you're sitting from the outside and you're making the commentary about, you know, the Roger Federer's of the world or the, 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 the champions. And this idea, like I remember as a young athlete, I always thought, oh, you know, the world number ones, you know, they're not afraid. And that's why they win all the time. This was kind of like my thought from an outside being a kid who wanted to be a professional, right? And when I met my partner who had already, you know, been at the top of the game that I was in and was described how afraid she was right before winning gold medal, I thought, oh, what? So it kind of like shifted that my mindset, I was waiting to not be afraid to win at the, the highest level. And what I'm getting with talking with you is people are waiting, they're working their butts off. It's like once I you know, toil enough, then I'll be free. And what I like and, got, and yeah, they never are. No, it's because it's not, it's a mindset. So that, that's always the toil is going to always be the way. And I, I really appreciate you, Chris, for um, what, what you're sharing today, because I, I think that there's a simplicity to it actually. And it's, we can't, we shouldn't make it more than it is. And that's the thing is I'm the dumbest person I know. And <laughs> you can still go off and do it. So you don't have to be the cleverest. And everyone thinks the next pay rise or the next bonus is gonna be the answer, and it's not. And as we said, you just need to go and do it. Keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid. And if it works once, you just keep repeating. Well, I'm really committed to reading your book. When my partner sees me reading your book, she will fall off the bet, like no kidding. <laughs> and so I'm totally committed. Um, you've just really just, yeah, you just made it really simple to me. And, and I think that it's a mindset. We have property. And what I'm getting from your, what you're saying is that it's even a mindset what you, when you've got them. Because I think there's a mindset around what we've got that isn't, yeah, that has a whole, it, it, you can actually shift your mindset even when you've got them. So I'm just getting that from you too, is like the way you see it. Um, the wealth, it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is mindset. So with all the different property speakers around the world and around the country, 95% of our mindset is exactly the same. We invest in different things. So I'm, I'm into blue chip, good, good locations. Other people are regional, positive, or brand new, or secondhand, or whatever. That, that's fine. You choose whatever suits you, but you need to learn 95% of the mindset. And that's where the real money is or the where the freedom is. Because again, most of the people, it's not about the money, it's the freedom. And the biggest thing I've had in my life is to have from 31 to now 48 that I haven't had to go to work 
I can travel the world, I can do things that most people dream of doing, and that's the money. And a lot of the stuff now is my my Model T is I think it was thirty thousand dollars. So I don't need the million dollar cars anymore. I've gone through all of that. I'm having more fun in a thirty thousand dollar hundred and ten year old car. But it's all the mindset of getting your head around it. That that's where the, the real freedom is. Love that. Oh, so cool. Really appreciate your, this conversation. It's, it's had an effect on me. So that to me is always like, clearly there's other people out there just like me that are going to have an impact. So I really appreciate your time. And um, look, you have the time. So that's what's so cool. You actually have the time to do good work and, and inspire people. So that's what you've done today. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And the book's nice and easy. I don't know any long words. And so it's uh, super simple to read. And it's even on a podcast. If, if you're too busy or you can't read, ah. you haven't got time to read, you can listen to the podcast. And my wife says, they don't want to listen to you for an hour, Chris. And so we've got an Australian to uh, record it instead. So uh, ho- hopefully the Australians can understand the accent. <laughs> well, they've had to deal with this Canadian too, Chris. So they've been all mixed <laughs> up. Um, oh, thank you. Really appreciate you. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.